What is or what are your biggest fears? When you think about what brings up just that sinking, dropping feeling in the pit of your stomach, as you think about what haunts you most. Is it failure? Disappointing others? Is it uh, a diagnosis from a doctor? Things that will affect your physical uh, being, your body? Is it family brokenness? Relational brokenness? The, the loss of a, of a mother or a father or a child? Is it great poverty? Losing all that you have materially in this world? Is it words that wound and hurt and cut from those that you love most deeply? Is it attack? Abuse? War? Not making the promotion that you desire and long for? Being alone? At any time or forever? What, what do we do in the midst of our fears? Who do we turn to? What do we turn to for help, for comfort? This morning we are looking at uh, Psalm 121. Uh, over the, uh, so last week we looked at Psalm 120, which is the first of the Psalms of Ascent. Remember, these psalms would have been uh, sung as the people of God would have journeyed to Jerusalem uh, for the, 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 the annual festivals, three that they would have celebrated each year, singing as they, as they moved along, going, anticipating meeting with their God and, their, and His people. The reason it's called a psalm of ascent is because Jerusalem and the temple would have been the highest point, and so as you're journeying, you're going up, uh, and so they're ascending. Uh, this uh, this week we are looking at uh, 121. Next week we'll look at 122. Uh, I'll be uh, uh, off for two weeks um, with vacation. We still may be here for worship, but another pastor will be filling in for me. Uh, and then we will, uh, beginning in July, start a series through Acts. Um, but right now we're going to camp out in these Psalms of Ascent. And this morning, looking at fear. Fear and how God calls His people to find their hope, their comfort, their help in Him. So if you would, look with me at uh, Psalm 121. If you want to follow along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on uh, page 516. And we'll be looking at the whole psalm this morning. So if you would, follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God this morning. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Yahweh is your keeper. Yahweh is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. 
Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that uh, You uh, have given these psalms, these songs, these prayers to shape the hearts, to form the identity uh, of Your people. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would continue this ancient work that You have been doing uh, in Your people. Uh, Point us to Jesus. Uh, May He be lifted up this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, Daddy, you want to play uh, superheroes? That's a common question in our house. You say, sure, Beckett, yeah, let's play. He goes, you choose first. Well, I'm going to be Wolverine. He goes, okay, I'm going to be Everything Man. Everything Man? Who's Everything Man? I haven't heard of him. Oh, well, well I made him up. I was like, well, what can Everything Man do? Well, well Everything like, all right, whatever. So I get out my Wolverine claws and I start going after him. I was like, I, I cut you. I got you. I beat you. No, you didn't. What are you talking about? It's like, I'm everything, man. I broke your claws. You can't break Wolverine's claws. Everything man can. All right. Well, I'll be Superman. I'm going to burn you with my heat vision. I'm going to freeze you with my, with my breath. No, you're not. I'm everything, man. I'll turn into kryptonite and I'll beat you. All right. Well, then I'm going to be the Hulk. I'm going to do a Hulk smash and I'll beat you. No, you're not. I'm everything, man. I'm going to Hulk smash you back and my Hulk smash is even bigger and better than yours and I'll beat you. I'm like, Beckett, this this isn't fair. Uh, I'm not going to play anymore. If this is the way it goes, I mean, what's the point in playing? And let me give you a word of advice. If you ever play with your friends, you can't be everything, man. It's no fun for anybody else. They don't want to play. So the next time he asks me, Daddy, you want to play superheroes? I say, yeah. He goes, who do you want to be? I say, everything, man. (laughs) He bursts into tears. You can't be everything, man. Because I'll lose. See, Beckett understands something. When you're up against a a power like everything, man, if you can't have him, you don't want anything. To, from my perspective, to go up against everything, man, the battle isn't even fair. If that's who you're facing, you don't even want to enter into conflict with this one. Notice, as, as we begin in Psalm 121, that's the idea that the psalmist begins to put forward as those in fear may begin to consider and wonder where their help is coming from. And he wants to first to point them to find their help, to find their comfort in God because of His power. God here is presented as the everything man of God's. Notice, notice what he says. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? The maker of heaven and earth. You see, 
At that time, uh, the, the other nations and other people would have worshipped and served other gods. Their gods and their temples and their altars would have, uh, uh, would have been built and placed on top of, uh, of hills. These would have been gods, the god of, uh, of the sun, the god of, god of rain, god of war, uh, god of, of, of harvest, god of, uh, of, uh, of birth. Imagine and pick any, any aspect of our lives. There was a God for each one of those. But the psalmist comes in and he says, when the people of God are in deep distress, when we are fearful and we're wondering where our help will come from, we look up to the hills. But it's not the hills of these other gods. It's to the hill of our God in Jerusalem. And He is the God who made heaven and earth. All these other gods, remember we saw this when we looked at Genesis a couple of years ago. The account of Genesis, when you get through the creation week, the conclusion you come to is that when the God of Israel finishes his work, there is nothing left for any other God to do because he's done it all. The creator and maker of the heavens, the creator and maker of the earth is the all-powerful one. None of these other individual little puny gods compare. None of them have the power that he has. If you're looking for a helper, you don't want to even consider these other ones. Go to Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. The comparison isn't even fair. If he is not an option, then you might as well just cry like Beckett. Because he, they will fail you. Notice, he goes even deeper to explain this. Uh, in verse 3, as he goes on, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, the, the terminology that's used there, uh, he, he's describing uh, a nap and a long night's sleep. What he's saying is true of the God that we serve is he never snoozes. He never nods off. He is always alert and ready for his people. This would have been significant for the original audience because the gods of, of the other nations were known to sleep from time to time. In fact, their priests, part of their role was to make sure that they woke their gods up from slumber and sleep so that they could hear and respond to the people's prayers and their worship. If you read back an account of when Elijah is battling the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, this is one of the things that he pleads. You might need to get louder. Maybe he's asleep. Here, what the writer of this psalm is telling and communicating to the people of God, what they would have realized as, as they sang is that they serve, we serve the most powerful God, the one true and living God who is better than all other gods. He's the maker of all things. He will never sleep and he will never slumber. Notice, though, how, how this is put forward. In verses verse 1 and 2, it, it's almost as if 
the psalmist is asking a rhetorical question that he definitely knows the answer to because he answers it right after he asks. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Help comes from Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. He knows the answer. We know the answer too. Many of us who have grown up in church, you know what the answer should be. You know that the answer should be where do you turn in the midst of your fear? Where do you turn when you are desperate in need of help? Sunday school answer. God. Jesus. God. Jesus. That's where we should go. It, it may be what we would say and speak that we know the right answer. But many times when we live out our lives, we don't always turn in response and look to our God for help. We may know the right answer, but we look other places. Why? Why do we still want to run to these other gods, other helpers, other deliverers? Do we doubt his power? Do we wonder if he's really strong enough? Do we wonder and question, is he really sufficient enough for me in the midst of this situation and this circumstance that I'm facing? We may know the right answer, but we may have those questions. Maybe, maybe we think our perspective on relating to God is that, well, I know I should go to Him, but only after I've exhausted every other resource that's around. Once I figure out that I can't take care of it and that I can't handle it, then I'll go to Him. That's our approach and our response to what's going on. Um, maybe we wonder if He's really going to use His power. Maybe we struggle to go to God at times and call out to Him and help and look to Him for comfort is because we really question and wonder whether He's going to use His power to protect, to defend, to guard, and preserve us. We doubt His goodness. We struggle to really live out and embrace His character as it's revealed in the Scriptures. Will He provide for us? Will He protect us? Um, over the, the past week, um, this question of, uh, of wondering, will those who have power, will those who we're trusting to protect and defend us, will they respond when we need them, has come up. Um, the shooting that happened in Florida at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, High School 17 people were killed, another 17 injured. And they're trying to figure out now what the, the appropriate response should have been for the sheriff who was placed as the resource officer at the school. Uh, it looks uh, from some accounts as if uh, uh, he didn't respond appropriately. The training said that he should have run into the midst of the, of the difficulty, run in as the one who had the power who had the authority, who had uh, another weapon to stop this, uh, uh, this perpetrator. Uh, but from the video evidence, it looks like he, he stayed outside. 
Some would describe it as him hiding, waiting 45 minutes, and the guy was able to kill, wound, and escape. The article was written um, this, uh, this past week. The title of, We Expect Police to Be Brave for Us, But What Happens When They're Not? This is a quote from a guy who trains uh, police and military officers and talking about the need for, for more training. And he says this, We expect more and more and more from our police, said Mr. Murray, the law enforcement training executive. They're supposed to be expert marksmen, mixed martial artists, kind, caring nurturers, social scientists to the level of psychologists. They should be able to diagnose at a distance some poor individual who is downtrodden and acting out. We expect that they should be able to tell a real gun from an identical replica and all that with very little training. Hope, longing for those in our world who, who we think should be there to protect and defend and guard us. And what do we realize one, we can't trust and think that every human in every circumstance will make the right decision. That will maybe play out in the trial as it goes forward. But we realize this. We're hoping in someone to defend us, to protect us. What we want is, and what uh, the brokenness in our world points us to, is that we're longing for someone who will always respond perfectly who will always be there when we need them, who will not just stand on the periphery and watch, trying, confused, wondering what to do. Where is the problem? Where is the issue? What do I do in the midst of this situation? And this psalmist calls us not only to find help and comfort in our God in the midst of our fears because of His power, but also points us to come to Him because of His protection. Notice in this passage, six times this word keeps coming up. Keep, keep, keep. Did you notice it as we read over it? Uh, in verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. In verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In verse 5, Yahweh is your keeper. In verse 7, Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. In verse 8, Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. The, what is trying to be rooted deep into the hearts and the minds of God's people as they read, pray, sing this psalm is realizing and understanding that the identity and the character of our God is He is a keeper. What does that mean? It means that He's guarding. He's attentively watching carefully attending his people. That is who he is. That is how he utilizes, he, he lives out and uses his power to keep and guard his people. Notice the result of this keeping that God does for his people. Uh, notice how it shows us in verse 3 and 4 that because of this, this protection that God provides us keep His people, will reach our destination. Note, look in verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. Remember, the idea in the picture is one of, of the people journeying, not just to Jerusalem to worship, but remember one of the things that we began to see last week in these Psalms 
is that the journey to God is, it can really be a, a summary and a picture to us of what it looks like to live out the Christian life. So as we're journeying towards and longing for the full restoration of all things, what the psalmist is telling us is that God will never let your foot stumble. You will not lose your footing. You will not fall down into a ravine. You will not break your ankle and not be able to make it to the end. God's people will always make it to the end of their destination, meaning the kingdom of God when He restores all things. Because of his great protection. Notice in in verse 8 how he emphasizes this even more. Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in. Remember, they're they're journeying three times a year to Jerusalem and back, to Jerusalem and back, to Jerusalem and back. You're going out, he's going to keep you. You're coming in, he's going to keep you. Over and over. Not just on this journey, but notice what it says in verse 8 forevermore. God will always keep His people in such a way that they make it to the end of their destination. This is how our powerful God rules and cares for us. Notice as well in verse 5, it shows us that He he offers and gives us His protection as our traveling companion. Look in verse 5. Yahweh is your keeper. Yahweh is your shade. On your right hand. Imagine journeying through the the hot sun in the Middle East as you're on your way to Jerusalem. And at your right hand, the picture is there's always shade. Not that when these guys were were walking that no sun ever hit them. That's not the the picture. That God appeared as a little umbrella, you know, keeping the sun off. But the, 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 the imagery is one that he's close. He's with you the whole way, right at your right hand to shield the guard, to keep and protect you. God is with his people in the midst of these scary, difficult, fearful circumstances. He is your traveling companion throughout the journey. And notice as well, the protection that God offers is total. It's completely Holistic. Look in verses 6 to 8 how this is demonstrated. The sun won't strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The dangers of, uh, uh, during the day that you can see, the things at night that you can't see. The heat of the day, the cold of the night. Or at this time, some people thought that, you know, you could get heat stroke during the day. Well, that's true. They also thought that, that sometimes there was, you could get moon stroke. That's where the, the term lunacy comes from. Sometimes the moon could make you crazy. Um, uh, whether the psalmist believed that or not, or he's just using common terminology, I think the gist is, whether day or night, God's with you. Notice as he continues to go on. In verse 7, He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Everything about you, guarding with you, walking with you through the midst of that. And as He summarizes it up in verse 8, in case we were wondering, not just now, but forever. The protection and the care of God is holistic. And it is total. Now, we need to remember... Uh, that God isn't promising here that His people aren't ever going to stub their toe. 
He's not promising that His people will never uh, suffer difficulty or persecution. We just finished up studying the book of Daniel. And we realize that that is uh, not the case. But what we see here is this idea of, uh, of what God is doing is being with His people, protecting and keeping them till they reach the end of their journey. This is important that we see this because we can look to other things. Um, a lot of you were at the picnic this last, uh, this last Sunday. Uh, and uh, you may have seen me uh, applying sunscreen to all of our uh, all of our kids. And as I was putting sunscreen on Greta, uh, I put one of these sun shirts on. Her. And she's like, "Daddy, why uh, why do you give me the sun shirt instead of just putting sunscreen on?" I was like, "Well, you know, sometimes uh, when mommy and daddy put sunscreen on you, we may miss." miss a spot or uh, you know sunscreen doesn't last forever it washes off it fades and so you could still get burnt but when we put the sun shirt on you it covers you up fully and completely it totally protects you those other things as as much as daddy and mommy can care for you I didn't go into all of this with her but you understand what's going on uh, as much as Daddy and Mommy care for you and we're trying to protect you, we are not perfect. We cannot fully guard and protect them. Think about the things that we could trust in. If you trust in yourself, think about trusting in yourself to keep yourself from getting sunburned. You walk out like this, maybe you keep moving your hand around and maybe if you move it quick and fast enough, you could... It doesn't work. Your hand's going to get burnt. The sun will scorch and burn you. You can trust in sunscreen or others to help you and get it on your back, but it will fade. What the psalmist is pointing to is the only one who can totally and perfectly protect and guard you is the God of the Scriptures. Notice, the, think, think about how we see this lived out. If we are prone and struggle to doubt whether God cares, to doubt whether He'll be there, to doubt whether He just wants to stand on the periphery and see us suffer, or when we need Him most, will He charge in? Will He rush in to deliver us, not fearing the cost it may bring to Him? How did we see our God respond? When, as His people, assaulted by sin, assaulted by, uh, by evil and wickedness and suffering, God didn't just stand on the outside. Maybe it looked like from our perspective He was doing it, but what did He do? He takes on flesh so that He could do what? Enter into our pain. Enter into our fear. Take the punishment and the suffering that we deserve to do what? Deliver us. He was the one who was murdered, who suffered innocently to deliver us. Do you wonder if God cares for you? Do you wonder if He will be there when, it, when you need Him the most? We have seen and has shown to us 
how much our God loves us and to what extent He will go to protect totally His people, to protect us from all evil, to protect and guard our lives until we reach the end of the journey when Jesus returns and establishes and restores all things, even if it means we die before He comes back. Notice in uh, Romans chapter 8, this whole idea comes up. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If everything lands on your side, who do you need to fear? To put it in other words, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Sword, as it is written, for your sake we are all being killed. We are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our. Lord, God has totally promised to protect and guard his people until we reach the end of our journey and he will never fail. Anything else that we look to may for the time feel like it's bringing comfort, may for a time feel like we are getting help, but ultimately it will fail. The only hope that we have, the only one who can help and keep us to the end is our God. But notice in this passage that God doesn't just give himself to us, but also for our help, God gives us his people. Notice in verse four and five. Behold, uh, or yeah, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Yahweh is your keeper. The idea here is that God is being described as being the keeper of Israel, the corporate people of God. But also he's talked about being the keeper of the individual member of of the people, the individual Israelite, or in, to really understand it now to be the, the individual Christian, the believer, the one who has hoped in Jesus. Also, notice th- this idea of, of showing us being related and in the context of a, of a community. Look in verse 1 and 2. Notice how it's in first person as the, the author of the, the psalm or the singer of the psalm is speaking. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? 
My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. But then notice, in verse 3 to the end of the psalm, there's someone else speaking. He will not let your foot stumble. And that's the perspective as it goes on to the end. It's as if what's happening in the psalm is as the first person calls out and and speaks, where is my help going to come? As they speak, the rhetorical answer to the question, my help is going to come from Yahweh. But what do we know? We, We might be able to give the answer, but we struggle to remember it. We struggle to live it out. Remember, this is a psalm that was to be sung by the people as they're journeying together to Jerusalem. The psalm is, is, is showing us we need others. The way that it's, it, it's even structured and the form that it's given to God's people is that part of the way that God is, is, is helping us in the midst of our struggles is by when we cry out, where is my help going to come? The design is, in the community of the people of God, you hear a chorus of others who are journeying with you, who love your God and who love you and who are speaking. Don't forget, Yahweh will keep you. Don't forget, Jesus is with you. Don't forget, don't be deceived by these other things. He is the true and total keeper when you struggle, when you doubt, God gives us His people to encourage and guard and walk with us through the Christian life. Notice this picture up here. Buddy, if you could put that up. I don't know if you can see this coming through a little bit. Um, so this was from uh, from Edenton uh, back earlier in the the, the spring. Um, this is a picture of a of a move that was going on by uh, Krista was moving from Edenton to Hertford. Krista's closest family, biologically at least, is uh, out in Raleigh, right? But yet, you see all these cars. There's nowhere to park in the neighborhood because of all the members of Christus Church that showed up to help, to help her move, to help her journey from Edenton to Hertford. In the middle of the rain that was going on, Krista was surrounded by her fellow journeyers to remind her, you are not alone. This is... A small picture of what we're talking about. It's just a move. It was helpful, right? But the bigger picture we see is that because of what Jesus has done for us, we have been saved into the corporate people of God. And we must remember that many times where your comfort comes from is the people of God that He's redeemed and saved and put around you who are speaking to you when you can't think, who are speaking to you when your fears are surrounding you and you're looking around and you're wondering, where's my help going to come from? Where is it going to come from? And you hear from the people who love you and who are around you, your help comes from the Lord. 
Notice how important this is as it picks up uh, later in the New Testament. This is not just an Old Testament thing. From Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's because of the work of Jesus, because of what He has accomplished on behalf of His people, that we are encouraged more and more to journey, to seek out after our God, to long for and to patiently endure and await the arrival of the new Jerusalem, the restored heavens and earth where we dwell with God forever and ever. But in the meantime, we see from this psalm and throughout all the scriptures that we need one another. We need to be a part of local body. We need to be invested and involved in the lives of others around us because we see from just the context and the, the form of this psalm that is what God has called us to do and that is part of how He works out His help and His keeping care for His people. You, if you're hoping and trusting in Jesus, have been redeemed and saved by God. Those that you worship with and gather here also have been redeemed and saved by Jesus. We can struggle to remember how powerful our God is. How significant and sufficient His protection is. But the hope that we have and what we need to encourage one another to keep looking for is to find our hope, our comfort, and our help in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You for uh, giving us Your Word. We thank You for giving us Your Son. We thank You and for Your people. Uh, we pray now uh, that You would uh, continue Your work in us. Point us to Jesus. May we rest in Him and Him alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.